0: Just want to say from the outset, the guys, the ladies were crushing us on that last part there. So we have to step it up next time. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and track down the book of First Timothy in First Timothy chapter three this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the chair somewhere around you. As always, if you need a copy of God's word, please take one of those as our gift to you or to anyone who. You might know that would receive one. Um, First Timothy chapter three. Uh, have you ever heard of the uh, the concept of mission drift? Mission drift. There's books out there on it. Many organizations have a uh, a mission statement that define who they are, what they do, what they aim at. Uh, particularly non profits are, are big on mission uh, statements. This uh, these statements provide a lens through which the Organization attempts to view and evaluate things uh, in, in an ongoing way. And mission drift is simply when a given organization diverges from that original purpose or uh, statement. Uh, it doesn't mean so a lot of people hear about uh, mission drift and, and, and what you, you, you say negative things about it. And they say, well, do you mean that organizations never uh, change? No, that that's not what it means. It does not mean that an organization doesn't evolve and change in healthy ways. But good mission statements are timeless. Uh, but the means of carrying out uh, the things that you're about uh, can change and shift uh, over time. Uh, when it when it comes to something like mission drift, it's it's key to understand that it's often not dramatic. It's often not sudden. It's it's usually a slow kind of subtle thing that happens based on one decision after another, oftentimes unintentional decisions that over time lead an organization away from what it was founded uh, to be. Oftentimes you you just look up years later and suddenly the organization is, is something that it was never intended to be, and that would be uh, mission drift. I'll give you an example and you can see if you can guess who this is. This is the mission statement, original mission statement or part of it, of one of the most well-known, prestigious universities in the world. The original aim was for students, and I'm quoting here, to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Any guesses about that university, who that is? Harvard. Harvard. Correct. Harvard. You did say Harvard, right? I thought Um, on the 350th anniversary of Harvard, they had a historian come in and study the evolution of Harvard. And part of the historian's conclusion was this. This university has become godless. What's really interesting is a 100 years into the founding of Harvard, there was a group that actually noticed the drifting of Harvard. And they concluded that an alternative was needed. Since Harvard was drifting away from this original statement, they included that an alternative was needed. So they moved a little south, created another university founded on the principle that truth needed to be seen in the light of Christ. And the new university created out of the drift that Harvard was experienced became known as Yale. So we could trace where Yale stands today as well. Uh, history gives us example after example of this. You can study the evolution of entities like the Pew Charitable Trust. Look at the way they started. Look at what they now support, the YMCA. Even for you kids that are a little older in this room, VeggieTales and how it was started and then what it became after the fact. So here's the application to, others, uh, to us this morning. Churches are not immune to mission drift. As weighty as it may be, when a non-profit or a Christ-focused organization shifts away from its mission, it's much more significant when the church shifts away. Oftentimes there's connection there. The church drifts and the the non-profits drift with them, or vice versa. We just follow the non-profits. Now, when you dig into the causes of drift, even the subtle decisions or actions that lead to it or a part of it, When it comes to churches, there's some common causes that people have been able to identify that are very apparent. And one such cause is a simple lack of adherence to the mission statement. It's a it's a forgetting of it. It's putting it in the background. It's not even knowing it in the first place. It's not upholding it. If it exists, it's just a sentence on a website or in a document. The members don't know it. The leaders forget it. And there's little application of it. So why bring this up now? For one, we need to be aware that something like Mission drifts Drift exists. Uh, th- there's a preventative nature to what we are covering today in the next few weeks. Second, I think we are have experienced some early signs of this in one particular area. So the elders uh, have the privilege of getting together once a year on a retreat, which is is a horrible name for it because it is it is not retreatish at all. Uh, it's work, uh, but it's a privilege to do it. And we, we do as much as we can in a short period of time. But among the many things we discussed this past uh, retreat, which is in June, was what appeared to be what I'm calling drift in the area of missions at PBC. We didn't necessarily talk about it as drift at that time. What we observed was what we think is at least one of the unintended consequences of walking through something like a pandemic, which we had never done before. Uh, If you think we didn't lead well at times during a pandemic, I'm okay with that because I'd never done it. We had never done it. So we learned a lot of lessons along the way. Uh, I'm sure you were perfect in your assessment of everything to do in response to COVID. So thank you for that. And please write it down. Uh, but whereas as it, what I saw in this church and, and even heard from other churches, when we were able to gather back together and even before that, something like community was enhanced. We saw the need for it. We were like, man, I really missed that. But mission faded a bit. And there's likely a lot of reasons for that. Many out of our control, not necessarily a result of intentional decisions, likely a part of lack of leadership. The point today is not to try to pinpoint blame and to put that somewhere that I don't think that's a useful exercise. The point today in the next two weeks is to do what we should do anytime time that we see something like drift happen or things that we should do to prevent drift. Anytime we get off course in any way and we notice that and then on an ongoing basis, we always go back to God's word. OK. So we're gonna go back to God's Word and secondarily go back to the mission statement that flows out of God's Word. Cause there's something that I believe as strongly now as I did when first got into pastoral ministry that God works by His Spirit, okay, through His Word in His people. Okay, God works by His Spirit through His Word in His, uh, people. Any recalibration, correction, change, it all starts, should start Right here, okay? You don't start by tweaking programs or trying this idea or that idea or communicating better or worse or whatever. You always, you always go back here and remind yourself, be reminded what has God said. Or if you don't know and you don't need to be reminded, you go for the first time and go, what has God said? And you let God's Word drive any change that might need to occur. That's the aim of today in the next two weeks. And our prayer is that, my prayer is that, that God will renew a passion in us for His mission. So, with that in mind, we're gonna go back to a text and back to some content we've covered a few times, but I, I think, I pray that this will be a text or content or truth that we, we will have the privilege of revisiting a number of times in years to come. Okay, it's not a bad thing. God is repetitive. So I think it's good to be repetitive. Um, I've got two questions for us today. Questions we've looked at before that will aid us in going back to God's word and secondarily revisiting the mission statement that flows out of it. And and then zeroing in on one particular part of it. And that's that's mission. Okay. so uh, kind of a broad question and then a more particular question. First question, why does PBC exist? You could say, why does any church exist? And in light of the answer to that, how do we respond? How do we respond? And being a little more particular on our answer to the second question and then everything else over the next two weeks, even what happened before this gathering, in a sense, is to enhance what we look at in these questions. So let's get to it. First question of the day. Why does PPC exist? This is a, this is a, let's call a huddle kind of question. This is any time we ask this and we should probably ask it on a regular basis. Why do we exist? This is all right. Let's get back in the huddle. Uh, This is the play we're running. Everybody on the same page. Do you know your routes? You know, your blocking assignment. Okay, you know where you're going. You know what you're doing. You know, the check downs, you know, all of that. And let's make sure we're on the same page. So why does PBC exist? Hopefully many of us know the answer without looking. We exist to glorify God through gospel centered worship, training, community and mission that sums up who we are why we're here according to this word not just our ideas and i've said this i've tried to say it in a number of ways over the years that i've been here there are different ways to say that exact same thing OK, it's kind of like when it comes to the gospel, there are there are different ways to word it, OK, different ways to approach it that are still the gospel. OK, so we don't have to be the word police if we have a summation of something, we don't have to always be looking for certain words. But I believe that if a church submits to scripture, then they will in some form have these elements Okay, they will in some form have these elements as their mission statement if they have one or they will hold to them. You don't necessarily have to have a mission statement. Uh, I've mentioned this before. I love the way that Matt Mason, friend and pastor at Brook Hills, love the way he talks about. He talks about the threefold task or uh, the three distinctives of the church. And he says those involve worship, nurture and mission. Okay, we break out that nurture part into training and community, but we're saying the exact same thing. Okay, we believe the exact same thing. The New Testament church is simultaneously a worshiping community, a growing community, and a missional community, or a a church on mission, a people on uh, on mission, a community on mission. We're a a faith family that worships, grows, and is on mission. And it's key to see that these distinctives are not in competition. Okay, they're not in competition. You never see Mission set against community or vice versa in Scripture. You can actually emphasize practical loving care for one another while you still pursue the nations. That's possible. You can love doctrine and your neighbors. Okay? Okay, you can walk and chew gum. Kind of fits in the same category. We've done, if you're new here uh, or just haven't been here for that long, we've done an entire sermon series on the mission statement. We broke down each part of it. You can find that on the website. Today's a very abbreviated version of that, which took several weeks to get through. So we're going to take that entire series, condense it into one sermon, and we're going to do that from Paul's first letter to his disciple, Timothy. And all of these components are evident in this one uh, letter. So. As a reminder, if you're not familiar with Timothy, we we went through this as well. So if you want more on Timothy, you can go find the sermon series on that. This is written by the Apostle Paul to his disciple Timothy regarding what Timothy is to do in terms of his leadership that he's providing in the church at Ephesus at that time. Okay, not going to be everything in Timothy today, but we want to I want to show you how that mission statement that's on the screens is evident here. And to be clear, we didn't take that mission statement and put it in this letter. i want to show you how we drew it out of this letter and the rest of God's word. OK, we, we don't find ideas and proof text them. That's the opposite of the way you approach God's word. Don't find ideas and proof text them. Every now and then you'll have a good idea that actually was in the word. And you just didn't know it was there. But most often you go to God's word and let it create your ideas. All right? Let it fuel the ideas. All right. With that in mind, we'll go to the text verses 14 through 16 this morning uh, in First Timothy three. This is the heart of the letter. This is Paul writing his purpose down for why he's writing. So if you want the gist of First Timothy, here it is. Chapter three, verse 14, the word of God. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. He being Jesus, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. I don't know if I need to summarize what Paul just said there, but just for the sake of clarity, Paul is... Trying to get to Ephesus, Ephesus personally to handle some things that he thinks need to be handled. If he's delayed or prevented from coming, he's writing down what he wants Timothy to do and how he wants him to lead accordingly. And generally, he's writing this stuff, and I love the way he words this, so that the church will know how to behave. Okay, the household of God is another word for the church. Okay, if I don't get there, Timothy, here's how everybody's supposed to act in the church. Okay, that's, that's the gist. Now, let me show you how all of the components in this mission statement exist in Paul's instructions to this church. Most of it's contained right here, just in these verses, but it's certainly contained in the larger body of the letter. So let's break it down. First section of our mission statement. We exist to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. We believe that God's ultimate aim is to glorify himself. Okay. Through redeeming a people from every tribe, nation and tongue directly from his word. Therefore, our aim is to glorify him through seeing disciples made among all nations, all people groups. We believe based on this word that all things exist and all things are being worked to according to his passion, his pleasure and his plan. Our God calls, our God rescues, our God redeems, our God saves, our God restores, our God judges, our God destroys, our God restrains. Our God does everything to the end that he might receive praise. He lives to make much of himself. Therefore, we live to make much of him. As Peter says in first Peter two, we are a people for his, God's own possessions, so that we may proclaim his, not ours, his excellencies. It's hard to get it any more clear than that. In the text before us, Paul calls us the household of God and the church of the living God. We'll talk about that household language in a minute, but it's clear here that we are his, okay? We are his household, his church. We see this living God language through used throughout scripture, and we see the emphasis when it's used on where this living God lives. According to Joshua in the Old Testament, the living God is among you. God said he would dwell among his people and that they would be his people and they would be there and he would be there or they would be his uh, their God. Sorry, said that all backwards. He would be their God and they would be his people. In the Old Testament, this is brought about through the tabernacle first. He's dwelling in a tabernacle and then in a temple, which all changed in the New Testament. There's no longer a physical temple. Now the Bible says we are the temple. We are called the temple of the living God. God's house. We are God's house, no matter the location. Shouldn't have to say this. The building is not The church. We are the church. We are meeting in this building. We, the people, are his household. We are the church of the living God. And this, everything that we do, is not ultimately about us. Paul doesn't say that it's our church. He says it's his, God's church. And the implications of that truth alone could not be any more profound. That truth, if embraced, fully radically affects everything about this. That means that nothing that we do is about our preferences, our likes and our dislikes. This is not about being catered to and having demands met. It's not a, another version of some country club in Kaba Heights where we pay our dues and get it like we like it. This is the church of the living God that exists primarily for making much of him, not us. Now, granted, we say that that sounds kind of bad for us, but if God wants what's best for his people and if it's all about God, then then that's best for us. So just connect the dots there. Psalm 23, beloved him by so many, we love all the language about the Lord being our shepherd, right? It's beautiful language, how we shall not want. He makes us to lie down in green pastures, leads us. Besides still waters, he restores our souls, leads us in paths of righteousness. It's just comforting language. You just hear it and it's just comforting language. But I think it's the end of verse three that we typically gloss over. Why does God do all this? The psalmist is clear. He does all of that for his name's sake, for his name's sake. Psalm 67, we read earlier, same thing over and over in Scripture. We see the same truth. Scripture is not ambiguous when it comes to this point. We exist to glorify God, to bring him attention, to promote him, to make much of him. That's why that's the first section in the mission statement. It's there because it's first. Next section through gospel centered. Okay, we believe that. That the good news, that's what gospel means, good news. We believe the good news of what God has done in and through Jesus Jesus Christ to reconcile sinful, rebellious men and women on him, to himself. We believe what he's done to reconcile us to himself is the foundation and motivation for everything that we do in the course of bringing glory to God. It's probably the section that Paul puts the most emphasis on in this text, in this letter, Paul. If you know the apostle Paul at all, if you've spent time with him in, in, in this word, okay, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, a lot of the letters, then you know Paul can't say hello without the gospel. Okay? The greeting of this letter is gospel saturated. Paul just oozes Gospel, it's like, hello, gospel. Every time Paul meets somebody, verse 15 of chapter one, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I One of the issues in Ephesus that Paul is addressing is in our vernacular is they had they were drifting from the gospel and Paul is making sure that they understood that the good news about Jesus is central. And foundational verse 16 of chapter three is probably what makes this the clearest he says great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness and he goes on there to quote what many seem see as an early church hymn regarding the person and work of Christ. And the hymn here is probably more like a confession of faith. The NASB, if you're using that translation, says by common confession. It's sort of an unquestioned common confession that the church already had concerning the person and work of Christ. I love the tie back to Paul's letter to ephesians here remember he's writing to the same church just through timothy this time in ephesians chapter three he refers to the gospel as the mystery that's been hidden for ages and here he calls it calls the gospel the mystery of godliness and this little hymn is packed we don't have time to dive that deep into it but it covers the incarnation okay the life, the death, the resurrection, the commission, the ascension and the exaltation of Christ. All of that is here. Jesus as the preexistent one God revealed in the flesh, attested to by the spirit, both in his life, during his life and in his resurrection, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the nations and exalted to the right hand of the father in glory. It's just like a full circle of the person and work of Christ. Here's how we would sum up what we believe about Christ, all of which is explicit or implied in this text. We believe that God looked upon hopelessly sinful people, people that rebelled against him, spurned his goodness, okay, spurned his goodness, denied his supremacy. He looked upon people like that. He looked upon us and he did not crush us. And he could have and maybe he should have. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God of the flesh to save us. Spurned God, told God no, told God he got it wrong, that we'll do it our way. God looks at us and sends his son to bear his punishment that we, we were due. He sent his son to bear his wrath and his punishment against sin on the cross. And then demonstrates his power over sin in the resurrection. Jesus died. Didn't stay dead, though. He was vindicated in the resurrection. And now as a living savior, he holds out a free offer of salvation to anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in him. That's gospel. That's the good news that is proclaimed and believed on among the nations. And that's what we are to keep central. We keep it central. Because the word keeps it central. Jesus himself makes clear that he is, he, okay, he's not in the center of it in terms of page count. But he says, everything's been pointing to me. Everything is about me. He opens up his early disciples' minds to understand that it's all been, it's all been coming to him. And it's all flowing from him. Just before this hymn, Paul calls the church the pillar and buttress of truth. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But in short, we are to uphold truth. We're to uphold this great confession. It's the truth of this confession that creates the church. And it's now the church's responsibility to uphold it. Church doesn't exist without this confession. So Paul says a lot in this letter, but he's clear that the gospel is foundational. The gospel is central. You could ask the question. So if you look, the church in Ephesus is struggling. Paul said, I really want to get there. Not sure if I'm going to make it, but I'm going to write a letter to Timothy because I left him there and I want him to take care of this. And so all of these issues that he wants to address in a struggling church, what does he make sure is first and foremost? The gospel, a reminder of the good news of Jesus Christ, just like he told the Corinthians, this is of first importance what we do as a church as churches we spend days we spend years we spend weeks just rehearsing this over and over and over again and seeking to apply every aspect of it to our lives seeking to let it be the filter through which our lives are lived this is our great common confession as the family of god next section And this is where we move into four distinctives worship, training, community, and mission. First, we glorify God through gospel centered worship. Okay. Worship should serve as both the fuel for everything we do. Okay? Get kind of fired up. You just kind of see the practical nature of that. You get a little fired up in worship. But it's also the response to everything we do. According to Scripture, all of life is worship, meaning all of life is a response to who God is and what he's done in Christ. All of life is an ascribing of worth to God. We're in the midst of corporate worship right now. It's a vital component of what the church is to do. Paul has instructions in places about corporate worship. But I love how he demonstrates to us. A life. He gives us an example of a life that it just overflows in worship in response to the gospel. You go back to chapter one. He's rehearsing the gospel and he's rehearsing what Christ has done and who he was apart from Christ or before Christ. How sinful he was. You can almost in the language of chapter one, you can just see the excitement building. You just feel it building in Paul. And then he just bursts out. In chapter in verse seventeen of chapter one, he says to the King of, uh, of the Ages, Immortal, Immortal, Invisible, the Only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When have you ever written that in the at the beginning of or at the end of the first paragraph of a letter? Like he's just getting excited talking about the gospel and remind. He's writing a letter to address issues, but he's so excited about the gospel. He gets one paragraph in, one chapter in, and he just bursts out in worship. It's almost as as if he had to take a break. And then you can just see the language come back down as he picks the pen back up or whoever's writing this for him. Paul's just giving us a snapshot of the Christian life. He's rehearsing the gospel and can't contain himself. It's just another reason or another argument why the gospel needs to be central in our lives, because a gospel inundated life is a worship saturated life. A gospel inundated life is a worship saturated life. Worship involves a rhythm of revelation and response. Truth is revealed and we respond. This goes for all the elements, but. Just a point here that you have to keep these connected. We exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship. Contrary to popular opinion, worship is directed to the glory of God and not the pleasure of human beings. We get pleasure through glorifying God in worship. So let's keep it all connected. Next, training. We value getting trained in ministry so that we can put what we know about God into practice for the building up and edification of the church. If you weren't here last week, whole sermon focused on training the next generation that I think is applicable to training in general. We've somewhat dangerously drifted toward a culture that's big on spiritual experience, emotions, methods, but weak on theology. Sound doctrine is boring, unattractive divisive in many ways. But I've not I've not lived in other eras whatever you want to call it centuries so I'm not going to make absolute statements but it seems that in our day we should be more desperate for doctrine Should not want less doctrine. I'd love to be able to take a pastor from a few hundred years ago, sit him down, see what he thought the pastor needed to know in that day or just the general Christian in that day. What do you think you need to know in this day? Because social media, the Internet, all the forms of information, dissemination that we have has shrunk the world. Everything is brought to our doorstep or in our hands or in our pockets. And there's this burden that's put on us to be an expert on everything. How do you handle Issues of gender, complexities of politics, climate change, immigration, racism, sexism, mass shootings, and the list goes on and on and on. So much complexity. And I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily new. I'm just saying they are much more widely known, discussed, and near to us than it seems like they ever have been. And I'm not saying we have to be experts in all those like we'd be failing miserably. If you think you're an expert on all of those, you're arrogant and you need to stop sharing your opinion on every one of those because you are not an expert. You probably need to be quick to listen, slow uh, to speak. I know that's the category I fall into when it comes to many of these. We don't have to be experts, but we can't retreat and hide these things. None of the things that are going on in our culture caught God off hand. And he's given us his word. He's given us his spirit, which are sufficient for us. According to God in his word, we have all that we need for life and godliness. But it's not going to come to us in our sleep. You're not going to go to sleep tonight. Wake up more godly. OK, it's just not going to happen. It's where training comes in. Talk about it often. The Ephesians 4 says that one of the main jobs of the elders in the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we want to make it a high priority to do the best that we can to train the people of God to engage in the world with the truth of God for the glory of God. Let me say that again because that's a mouthful. We want to train the people of God to engage in the world with the truth of God for the glory of God. We certainly want to do that with the next generation. You can't read, hopefully you've made this point last week, you can't read the New Testament and walk away thinking they didn't care about doctrine. Very beginning of the church, they're focused on doctrine, the apostles teaching a set of teaching that already existed. Doctrine could not be more important in this letter and the next letter to Timothy. According to verse three of chapter one, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to combat false doctrine. Verse 10, he talks about things contrary to sound doctrine. You get to chapter four, he talks about the good doctrine that Timothy had followed. He tells Timothy to devote himself to teach. To keep a close watch on his teaching. Chapter six, he goes after those that would teach a different Doctrine. That doesn't agree with the sound words of Christ. He ends the letter exhorting Timothy in, uh, to guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. And you keep reading in a second, Timothy, he just keeps saying this stuff over and over and over again. So this entire letter stresses the importance of guarding sound doctrine. Look again at what, what you just have in these verses. Verse 15, again, the church is the pillar and the buttress of what? Truth. That language would have likely caught the attention of some of the locals there. You see, they a temple to Diana in Ephesus, one of the wonders of the world at that time, had these large columns that upheld This massive marble roof just held it out for all the world to see. And Paul is saying, you hold the truth up high, you hold it out, literally hold it out for the world to see the truth. The church is both founded on the truth or by the truth, and the church is the foundation of truth. Think about the process. People respond to what Christ has done, and they're formed into what? The church. What does Paul go around doing? Proclaiming the gospel. People respond and then he forms them into churches, into the church. And then the church is given the responsibility to uphold the truth, to uphold it against false teaching, to hold it out to the world. One pastor said the church depends on the truth for its existence. The church depends on the church for its or the the church depends on the truth for its existence. The truth depends on the church for its defense and Proclamation. That's why I want an emphasis on training. That's why it's part of the mission statement. And training happens in a variety of ways. It's happening right now. If you're not asleep, it's happening right now. It's what happened before this gathering in core training. As adults had an opportunity to sit and receive from the wisdom and experience of Alex Sisson when it comes to cross-cultural engagement. The next generation received age-appropriate training in their classes this morning. If you... Neglect to lean into participate in core training. You are missing a great opportunity to receive accessible biblical theological training in the context of the local church. Training happens in some form across the board with certain areas of ministries giving more emphasis than others. This gathering, core training, midweek have a heavy training component. I would urge everyone make a renewed commitment. Lean into these Things. Why? For the glory of God. Paul tells Timothy in chapter 4 that bodily training is of some value. Of some value. Doesn't say it's valueless and doesn't say it's of ultimate value. It's of some value. But godliness is of value in every way. He goes on to say, as it holds out promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Okay? Bodily training gives you some promise for this life for a short period of time. Training in godliness. there's there's eternal ramifications for that. So we want to aim at spiritually healthy, robust disciples. And that's not going to happen apart from this word and devotion to knowing it. So training is a distinctive next component. Community. We believe that God created us to live in community. We most effectively live our mission together. OK, together. Every every disciple, every believer, every saint in this room or every Christian has a personal relationship with God. Okay, but that relationship is not individual or private, okay. Christian life was never intended to be lived in isolation. We were made for community. The church is a people that we belong to, okay. It's not a place we attend, it's a people to whom we belong. We're members of a body. Okay, you see that language all over. We're members of a body. John Stott said the very purpose of Christ's self-giving on the cross was not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate their loneliness, but to create a new community whose members would belong to him, love one another and eagerly serve the world together. Gospel centered community that that is increasingly this radical call. Amidst the culture of mere attendance and casual involvement in the church, the health and effectiveness of the church is crippled by casual involvement with its members. Casual involvement in the church simply doesn't accord with what the New Testament says about the church. This is one big, messy family that meddles in each other's business. okay, in a good way, in a healthy way. Not for the sake of gossip, but for the sake of the gospel. Again, this is one of those components is all over this book, but specifically in these verses where he calls the church, the household, the household of God. Another way of saying the family of God. We make this great confession together. We're adopted into a family. It's a lot like earthly families. When you married your spouse, you got the whole maybe dysfunctional, maybe not dysfunctional family. You you got it all. It all came along with I do. Okay, so Everything in this body all comes along with, I believe, Okay, different vow that you made. We did, again, with most of these, an entire sermon series. We did one on community and how that's most visibly expressed through membership in the local church. Be a good one to go listen to local churches. This is a local church are expressions of the global church. I would love to debate or discuss, if that makes you feel better, some people like shy away. well, we're going to debate. No, Okay, we'll discuss this, this statement that I would say you can't truly uphold the biblical picture of community apart from membership in the local church. You can't truly uphold the biblical picture of community apart from membership in the local church. Simply not possible. We're made for community. Last component, and where we'll spend the next two weeks, mission, mission. So we believe, based on this word, God deserves worship from all the peoples, all the people groups, all the tribes, nations, and tongues on the planet. And it's our desire, hopefully, to see the gospel not just transform our homes and our community, but all nations. Therefore, we exist to make disciples wherever we are, and among all the all the nations, all the peoples on the planet. So. The church, this church, does not exist for its own sake. But in order to participate in God's mission, it's not an optional program. It's an essential element of what the church is and what the church does. We sum this up in our Vision Mission goal document. Uh, That's a big part of the mission of the members class. It says this, our ultimate strategy is a church to be disciple makers who worship God, get trained, live in community in our own mission. This is where every local church has to always look in the mirror, continue to look in the mirror, make the assessment. If we're not caring for each other, if we're not growing in Christ, if we're not proclaiming the gospel, if we're not supporting the work of the gospel so that other people can be saved from their sins for all of eternity, then something's off. Let me say that again, if we are not caring for each other, growing in Christ, Okay proclaiming the gospel, supporting the work of the gospel so that other people can be saved from their sins for all of eternity, then something is off. These are not like obscure, radical things that the church is to do. It's like you don't have to dig for these. You don't have to dig for the things I'm talking about here. It does not take a seminary degree to find these things on the pages of Scripture. This is why. The church exists. Again, mission components clear in this text, clear in this book. Mentioned it earlier, this language, church being the pillar and buttress of truth, it holds this idea of the, of the church holding out the truth for the world to see. The church is God's vehicle for disseminating the truth. We're the vehicle for evangelism, for discipleship, for mission. The church is vital for both protecting, preserving, and propagating the gospel. So the imagery here points to mission, but this confession, this hymn points to it as well. The confession talks about Jesus being proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. This references the mission that Christ has entrusted to his followers. Go, you know, the mission, Matthew 28. You want to you want to dive deep into that? Show up to core training next week. Here, Pastor Al Jackson, talk about that. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The interesting thing that I think we often forget about that commission that was given to us is the completion of it, the victory of it, the end of it is promised and told to us. Revelation says that someone, that people from every tribe, nation and tongue will respond. The peoples will come to know God. The mission will not fail because we have a God who is beside us, the truth of God with us and most importantly, the spirit of God in us. It's a guaranteed mission success in the long term. With that in view, we'll turn quickly to the second main question before us today. In light of all this, in light of why we exist, how do we respond? How do we respond? Um, I said near the beginning, we're only focusing uh, this application. We're only really going to answer this question uh, when it comes to just the mission part. okay, we could dive into this for all of these. But I've got three questions, three additional questions to aid us in answering this question. Our um, vision document, again, if you've been through the new members class and you've seen this, it elaborates on three areas of mission, personal, local and global. So personally, almost everyone has a situation that is unique to them. And people that you interact with that nobody else really does. As a result, every disciple of Christ has to ask how they can personally apply the commission that they've been given. Locally, we seek to have an impact on Cobb Heights, greater Birmingham area. We want to be engaged personally and collectively in what God is doing in the context he has put us. Globally, again, we were created and redeemed to impact all nations. We want to be a church that is obedient to Christ's commission to see it go to the nation's. Particularly, we try to emphasize to those nations that have little to no access, that are unengaged, unreached peoples. With that, I want to point you to a resource that's been glaring at you as you walk in the door for now a little over a week because it was put out uh, last week. So there's this booklet on the front of the kiosk. By the way, as of right now, if something is sitting on the front of the kiosk, okay, it's not a display case. It's a go-take-it case, okay? Sometimes, and I hopefully will tell you, because if you become accustomed to walking up and taking things and we put stuff that you're not supposed to take, we will tell you about that. For now, we want these to disappear. All right? We want to print more of these so you can pick it up in the kiosk. And you might uh, say, and there's two things up there. I'll get to this one in a minute. So I'm talking about uh, this one. So you might look at this missions guide as a starter kit. Doesn't give you everything you need to know. That's not the intention. OK, David Brown challenged me to cut it down, make it more precise. And, you know, I loved his feedback when I sent him the first draft. He was basically saying, uh, you said too much, but say more. And I really didn't know what to do with that. So I just tried to say the same amount better. And it probably still needs a ton of work. Uh, but part of it contains information about these three areas of mission and the three questions that I want to ask. So let's work through each of these very quickly. First area, personal. And there's a question, who is your one? And that is tied to this resource. It's been around here for a little while Produced by the North American Mission Board. It's a 30 day prayer guide. There's some bookmarks out there too that, that go along with it. 30 day prayer guide to help you, to aid you in engaging someone with the gospel. Okay. The missions guide kind of gives you a little bit of background on how to use it, but I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, just what I want us to imagine, what if every member of PVC was to take one of these and pray for the salvation of just one individual? What would happen if we committed to pray? And to intentionally proclaim the gospel to one individual in need of Jesus. With no deadlines, it just, it says 30 days. There's no deadlines on this. Okay. If it takes a year, that's fine. If you put somebody's name down here and you pray for 30 days and you're even faithful to share with them over those 30 days or at some point and the Lord doesn't answer, doesn't mean move on. Okay. Now hopefully let the Lord give you a little more clarity than just 30 days. Uh, but you can just start over. Grab a new book and you'll see it's got blanks for a name in it. Um, so you get that booklet, you'll see each day has a text to read and meditate on, and then a guided prayer with blanks in it that you can put an individual's name. Okay. You don't have to share that with anybody. It'd be great, but bring some other people along and let them know who you're praying for and they can help you with that. So, and the bookmark is just something you can put their name on it and it's got the text for each day just as a reminder. So I'm just exhorting us toward faithfulness in this regard. Just pray, proclaim, see what happens. Let the Lord work. Okay. Okay. Uh, I don't know about you. I would love to see what the Lord would do through that if we would all faithfully lean uh, into it. So. Um, all right. I would love to see what would happen. We exist to glorify God through gospel center, worship training, community and mission. And mission doesn't happen without gospel proclamation. OK, disciples are not made without the gospel. Disciples are not made without evangelism. OK. Don't you want to see the next generation among us and the members not yet with us? Don't you want them to experience all of this? Don't you want them to be folded into the family? Don't you want that to come to fruition in a real way in order to see that happen? Maybe you just start with one question. Who's your one? So if you want to go big in mission, sometimes you start small. Okay, If you want to go big in mission, start Small and watch things grow next local. How are you engaging? This is where engagement comes a little more corporate mission comes a little more corporate. How are you impacting the community around us as a church? I've said from day one and I stole this language from somebody else. It's not of me, but particularly have applied it to local and global. We have a regulated free market when it comes to missions. Okay, no one is holding you back or me back from mission, but you. We want everyone to feel the freedom to go and do, but we want to regulate that. Meaning we want to evaluate, is it healthy? What equipping do you need? What help do you need? We want to evaluate whether it's something that would be good for the whole church to get behind and and it becomes a church partnership deal. So if you are not involved, you are the one hindering you. Now, granted, we want to lead and shepherd in that. I'm not trying to blame. I'm the one hindering me. Trust me. Continue to try and support and promote. And that's what you have listed in this guide. So you can look through this, spend time praying through it, see what opportunities exist here, how that might spur you on. If you've never helped out with families count, maybe talk to someone, reach out to me. I'll put you in touch with someone. Hear from others what it's been like to be a part of that. In light of the Dobbs court decision, lean into something like Save a Life and other pro-life causes. Friendship partners is like a it's like a layup for engaging with internationals in this city, literally being a friend of an international that comes here to study. Here's my challenge. Next time you see the email or the announcement or hear the announcement about a local opportunity, just sign up, dive in, see what happens. Sign up, dive in, see what happens. So how are you engaging locally? Um, by the way, uh, this there's a section in the booklet that says, what do I do now? OK, you may read through this like I don't know what to do. So there's a section that says, what do I do now near the end? okay, trying to say, I don't know what to do. Here's what you do. All right. So turn to that page if you get confused. Last area, global. Where are you going? OK, uh, what you see on that section of the booklet is a description, a brief description of three partnerships as the Lord has sovereignly provided for us here at PBC. Uh, if you've been a part of members meetings or just generally paying attention over the past couple of years and you know that COVID, along with other factors, just said, all right, we want you to hit the reset button on missions. We're going to make that really hard. Uh, but I trust God's providential leading in where he has us today. And I'm really excited about where he has us today. In this booklet, you'll see just a snippet of information about three, really four partners. So you have the Hilmers and Shepherds in Central Asia. King Jesus Church and Busega School in Uganda and in God's kindness, a rekindled partnership with the Sissons in Papua New Guinea. Now, I admit the question under this area is a bit unfair. Where are you going? Because we're not providing a lot of opportunities for you to go right now. Uh, maybe it should say, how are you supporting or something like that? Uh, we believe that short term trips done right are, are good. Uh, we don't want those to ever hinder the work. We want them to support and enhance the work. Uh, but short term trips have been continue to be a little difficult in our current cultural climate. But I promise you, I, I'll, I will challenge you to challenge me. If you want to go short term and we're working on some things, you let me know and we'll make it happen. OK, so I'm challenging you to challenge me in return. We'll make it happen. Alex Sisson, I promise, we'll make it happen. He's got a list that he and Haley took. Uh, they uh, 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 Kelly took a. Uh, A list this morning of everybody raise their hand. So you're going to be getting an email after this gathering. All right. My point in saying all this about trips. Don't base your global engagement on ability or inability to go somewhere. Okay? Because then you'll just you'll just give up. Use this as a prayer guide. It's meant to be partly that or as a catalyst to to want to gain more information about a partner. Let increased knowledge. About what we are doing leads to increased affection, that leads to increased care, that leads to increased engagement with our partners. Okay? Increased knowledge that leads to increased affection, that leads to increased care and increased engagement with our partners. Okay. How about this? If you want to take an additional step, there's some recommended resources at the back of this. So, some great books, some of them really short that you can read. Start checking off that list. That's part of your training. Okay, I guarantee this. Our partners will benefit greatly from more missionally sanctified versions of each of us. So go read, grow. All right. So there's a starting point. That's all that is. As the book will exhort you when you read it, we encourage you to be informed, be involved and be in prayer, be informed, be involved and be in prayer. And don't hesitate to reach out with any questions. In light of what's coming the next two weeks, be engaged the next two weeks. OK, that'll be a part of jumping in, of being informed. Come next week and receive just a wealth of wisdom from somebody like Al Jackson, who's just spent the majority of his life just pressing that missions button over and over and over. He'll be in core training and then he'll be preaching here. Come back the week after that. Hear the second part of what Alex has to offer. Come hear what David Burnett has to say about the unreached. OK. OK. But for now, I really need to end. So let's tie it all together. Let's, here's what we need to do. We think about drift. We need to take an honest look at our lives and at the church and go, do we see it? Do Do I see drift in, in my life? Do I see drift in the church? Have we drifted from what is obviously important to God? If so, let's keep recalibrate. And let's do that by going back to his word. Allow his word used by his spirit to renew some right passions and some right actions in us. So as a church, let's humbly honestly and prayerfully lean into his mission let's aim at faithfulness and see what he does all right if you uh if you're leading us go ahead and make your way back up if you're a guest with us uh we're grateful that you are here uh talk a lot about who we are today and maybe that sparks some questions or um some confusion or just want to know more about it we'd love to talk with you after the service you have any questions of what it means to be a christian what it means to be a part of his church why the church exists and then just know that i'm available we are available for you so i'm going to pray for us and then we're going to respond uh, to this word let's pray father we are grateful uh, for the clarity of your word forgive us for how we miss it and how we drift from it But thank you for your grace and your patience that brings us back to it. And we pray now, as we respond, that we as your church would arise. And that you would just bring about faithfulness to your mission in each of us personally and all of us collectively. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.